Our sermon today is based on Hebrews 11, verse 3. We'll just begin at the beginning of the chapter, verse 1. Creation out of nothing. God created the world out of nothing. Hebrews 11, 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the men of old gained approval. By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come to you in the name of Christ. We thank you that this word of Christ is ours. You have revealed your word. You have revealed your truth to us. And we come with confidence. We come with boldness to the throne of grace. We ask you to open our minds and help us to understand clearly what your word teaches about this very important teaching, the doctrine, the doctrine of creation. We ask you, Father, to help us to submit our minds to your word in whatever we may have learned in the past. May we be fair-minded. May we set them aside. May we be objective and analyze and inspect what your word says about this great truth. May we believe what your holy righteous, abiding word teaches us. For we ask in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, when we come to the subject of creation out of nothing, or as the theologians have coined the phrase, creatio ex nihilo, or creation out of nothing, this is a very, very foundational and important subject. And that's why our apostle addresses it right off the bat. It's one of the first things that he mentions after he defines faith for us in verses 1 and 2. Now, why is this such a significant, important, and weighty subject? Well, for one, the world religions, the pagan religions or idolatrous religions of the world, all the other religions of the world that believe in the gods, whether it's ancient religions, as the ancient Egyptians, the ancient Sumerians, the ancient Babylonians, the ancient uh, Greeks and the Romans, whatever religion in the past, and even today in modern religions, pagan religions such as in Hinduism and in Buddhism, these religions, which also have a very ancient origin, but they currently exist in very popular ways because there are millions, if not billions of people in the world who actually believe what paganism, as I broadly speak of it, teach, even within modern Hinduism and Buddhism, which is at least two billion people in the world right now. And what do they believe? They, they believe, as well as atheists and agnostics, they all believe that this present world came into being from matter that already existed, that is, from pre-existent matter, matter that was in some simple form that had always been here, it's just that it was not used in order to make the current world. It existed millions and even billions of years ago, four and a half billion years for the earth and 15 or 14 billion years for the universe. They believe that all of this existed for billions and billions of years. That is, simple matter in some primordial state it existed like that. And then it became more complex or created. Something was formed out of something. Or what we currently have was formed out of those things. 
And I also said that even atheists and agnostics believe this. Atheists who say there is no God, they believe that matter in a very simple form, whether in a soup form or an amoeba form, whatever, it existed in the past, and then somehow, some way, we have our current world. This is what atheists and agnostics believe. They have faith in that. All of these religions, and even the religion of atheism, and even the religion of agnosticism, they all teach this. Now, atheists don't claim religion, but they are religious in a sense, because they believe things that they don't see, they believe in things that they have never experienced, yet they say they will only believe if they see it. So they are religious in, that, in the sense that they put faith in something, and who is supreme, who is the ruler or lord of their life? It's themselves. The individual atheist dictates to himself what he's going to do and what he thinks is wise and best and good for himself. So an atheist, in a sense, he's his own god. And even the agnostics, we have to add agnostics to this group, because agnosticism, theoretically defined or philosophically defined, they say they don't know. They don't know what really or actually happened. That's what an agnostic is. It comes from two words in Greek, uh, gnosis, which means knowledge, and then if you add an A in Greek, it's a negative. So it's saying no knowledge. They say they have no knowledge, no definitive knowledge, as to whether God exists and whether the world was created in the way that the Bible teaches. They have no knowledge of that. Well, actually, they claim to have no knowledge, but they have knowledge enough to say there's no knowledge. It's amazing they, that they are a logical contradiction. That's what an agnostic is. Well, whatever this is major, everyone all around us, you don't have to look long. You don't have to go across the world to find people like this. These people exist in our own schools, they exist in our own churches, they exist in our own families. This is very, very common to believe in pre-existent matter. And furthermore, this matter, by definition, even according to their own assertions, is eternal. It's not just that this matter existed in a simple form before the current world, but they also think that it has always been here from eternity past. They believe matter itself is eternal. They believe it's eternal. And this is where the problem lies. That they believe that it's eternal, that they believe that it just happened, according to atheists and agnostics, and even some Hindus and Buddhists, they believe that it just happened. And in other cases, they believe that God or the gods, the millions of gods, did this or that and had this or that role in the creation of our current earth. This is the belief in Hinduism and Buddhism. But can we believe that? What does the Bible say about these issues? Now, before we go more specifically to verse 3, remember what we said last time, that in the Scriptures, faith is something that we all have, we who are believers. True faith belongs to the believer. Philippians chapter 1, verse 29 says, For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Philippians 1.29 says that all true believers have faith as a gift from God. It's true faith, and it comes to, from God to us as a gift. However, 
Second Thessalonians 3.2 says, not all have faith, meaning not all have true faith. Not all people, not all individuals in the world have true faith. They have false faith, but they don't all have true faith. That true faith is what God gives as a gift to his people, to his elect. That's what true faith is in Scripture. Faith also in Scripture has an object. The object of our faith is Christ. Even as it was in this chapter, as he says in 1126, he says Moses' faith was in Christ. He says Moses was considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. True faith, just as Moses did, and all the saints of the scriptures, and all the saints throughout all the ages, if they have true faith, it's not just as a gift from God and a belief in some generic thing. It is faith in the specific person and work of Jesus Christ. It is focused on Christ, that he died for their sins, he rose for their eternal life, for their justification. Moses did, and so should we. Faith is in Christ. Now, in this passage, just before he gives us a detailed explanation of the many people of the past who had faith, he has exhorted us in the previous chapter, at the end of it, telling us that the righteous one shall live by faith. He's trying to encourage all of us to have faith because this is the only way of life. Now, if it's the only way of life, he further explains in verses 1 and 2 that this faith has to be a hopeful faith. It has to be a faith that looks to the future or looks to the unseen things. Because he says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith in the Bible has to do with things not yet seen, the invisible, immaterial world. And in many ways, we are looking for that world to come, which right now is not a material world. Right now, we don't see it. Right now, we don't see the perfection and the goodness that the Bible promises us in Revelation chapters 21 and 22. We do not see that. Right now, we see evil. Right now, we see sin. Right now, we see tragedies and hardships. That's what we see now. We do not yet see that world to come. But faith, true faith, puts hope in the world to come. And we're not the only ones. We might feel like we're the only ones, but we're not the only ones. He says, for by it the men of old gained approval. All throughout history, as he will give us many examples, throughout history, all of them believed like this. Now, verse 3. In what did they believe? Look at verse 3. By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. The first thing we have to note is how he joins these two truths, faith and understanding. He says, by faith we understand. By faith we understand. It's not as though we understand first and then have faith. But in this case, he's talking about if you have this true faith in the word of God and everything that the Bible says about God and his world and us, faith precedes this true understanding. You see the sequence. By faith, we understand. 
Turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6. Here too, we'll see that true faith will produce understanding. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 6. 2, 6. Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature, a wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory, the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But just as it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. For to us, God revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. For we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things freely given to us by God, which things also we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no man. For who has known the mind of the Lord, that he should instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. The apostle tells us in verse 14 that natural men who are not spiritual, they cannot understand the things of God, and they think the things of God are foolishness. They think they are ridiculous. They think that we are the fools, and they are the wise men. Why? because the Spirit has not granted them faith, so that with that faith they understand, they accept, they believe the things that the Bible teaches. That's what he's saying in Hebrews 11.3. By faith, we understand. It requires faith to understand. Furthermore, he teaches that we understand what? What do we understand by faith? That the worlds were prepared by the word of the Lord or the word of God. The worlds were prepared. By saying worlds, he does not mean that there are other planets where there are humans. That's not what he means. By worlds, he's talking about the seen world and the unseen world. That is, the visible world of people and the unseen world of angels. This is what he means by that. And also, the Bible does speak of a world in the sense of this current earth or, or planet, it has the heavens in the immediate atmosphere where the birds are. That's why it says in Matthew 8, Matthew 8, 27, that the birds of the air have nests. The birds of the air have nests, but by air it means the birds of the heavens have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head um, in Matthew uh, chapter 8. So there, when he says this, He's meaning that that is one area, or, and it's called the heavens, the birds of the heavens. Another is where the clouds are, where the clouds are, 
the skies. The Bible, the skies are called a, a, a heavens in a sense. The clouds are there in the heavens. And the stars are there in the heavens. The stars, the stars of the heavens, like we read in Genesis 1. And then a further place where there is a world in a sense is where God dwells and where the angels are worshiping God. That's why it says the highest heaven is where the Lord resides. He resides in the heaven of the heavens. So this is what he means by the worlds. Now let's see an example of this in Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. Colossians 1, verse 15. Colossians 1, 15. 15 to 17. Colossians 1, 15. The scripture says, And he, that's Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Who is Christ? He's the image of the invisible God, firstborn or heir. That's what firstborn means here. He's the heir of all creation. Why does Christ inherit the, the whole of creation? He says in 16, because by him, by Christ, all things were created. In the heavens, on earth, visible, invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities. By this, he's talking about angels, the unseen angels. He's calling thrones, dominions, rulers, and authorities. All have been created by him and for him. Christ created them all. Whatever exists, every created thing was created by Christ. And he says in 70, Christ existed before all these things he created. And he holds them together. They all consist. They are, are all maintained or sustained by Christ himself. And we know he's speaking of angels when he says invisible and thrones, dominions, rulers, principalities. Look at 2.18, Colossians 2.18. Colossians 2.18. Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of the angels, taking his stand on visions he has seen inflated without cause by his fleshly mind. There, he's combating the falsehood that had crept into Christian churches by people claiming to be Christian, but they said, we should worship angels. And he's saying there, no, do not worship angels. Why? Because they are created beings. They do not have deity. This is what he said in chapter one. Christ possesses deity. Christ is the creator of them. So don't worship the created thing. Worship the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Furthermore, in Hebrews 11.3, how does, how, or how did the world come into existence? How did the world come into existence? He says, by the word of God. By the word of God. Notice he does not say that the gods had a council. They sat at the table, a big long table, and the head god was at the head of the table, and they all convened a meeting, and they all contemplated and debated. And they all gave each other roles and assigned each other the duties of who would create what. And then they said, we're going to take uh, five or four billion years. We're going to do it this way. We're going to do it that way. And then you over there, you can have a, we're going to have a rotation. 
We're going to have a, a, a three-tiered rotation system, right? We're going to have the first shift, the second shift, and the third shift. Okay, so we can all, we're not going to all get tired. We're going to all be able to sleep. Everything will be just fine. You can carry on with your, uh, your, your godly or godhood duties uh, when you're not helping in the creation of the world. You can take care of your own families, your, all your wives, all of your goddess wives. Nothing like that. Now, I, when I say this, it sounds ridiculous to us, does it not? But the pagan religions actually believe this. They believe that the gods exerted themselves. They believed that they were, went through lots of toil and torment, that there was conflict and debate with them. I'm not making it up. The religions, the pagan religions of the world actually believe this. They believe that. But the Bible says, by the word of God. And by the word of God, he's not saying even there that God had to exert his word or effort. He's trying to say in a simple way so that we understand in human terms that all it took was for God to say the word. That's all it took. And if you go back to Genesis chapter 1, you might remember that the first thing that God said after he created the foundation of the, of the world, it says, let there be light. Let there be light. Those are four small words. In the original language, it is yahior, yahior. So it's even shorter, yahi or, three syllables, two words and three syllables, that's all he said, yahi or, let there be light. And it's said that way, or God said it that way, in order to illustrate for us that all he needed to do was to will it, to decree it, to command it, and that's it. It did not take effort. He's no petty deity, he's no weak God, nothing like that. He is the almighty God. And that's how he, he illustrates it, that it happened by the word of God. Not only do we see that in Genesis chapter 1 with light, but with some other objects of creation that he created. In chapter 1, verse 6, he created the expanse that way. He said, let there be an expanse. And then there was an expanse. Then when he created the sun and the moon and the stars, it says, um, let there be lights. That's all he said. And then there were these lights. The greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. When he created the birds, he said, let birds fly in the heavens. He just said, let them fly there. Let them be there. Nothing. He did not create them from the ground or some previous object. He just said, let them be there and let them multiply. And they multiplied. So these are ways in which the Bible is illustrating the fact that by God's powerful word, by his decree, by his will, it happened. That's the way it happened, by his powerful word. Psalm 33, Psalm 33 recounts to us how it happened so simply. Psalm 33, verse 6. 33, 6. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. By the word of the Lord. The heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. One more place in the Psalms is Psalm 148. Psalm 148, verse 1. 148, verse 1. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. 
Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all stars of light. Praise him, highest heavens and the waters that are above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord. Why? For he commanded and they were created. He has also established them forever and ever. He has made a decree which will not pass away. There we have it. He commanded, he decreed, he willed. He just had to say the word and that's how it happened. And when we say he had to say the word, he did not have to say it, but he illustrates the fact that it was simple. It was easy by a mere spoken word. Now this doctrine of creating everything by his word does not necessarily mean that God created every single thing from nothing. The doctrine of creation out of nothing is intended to say that God created everything we have from nothing, meaning there was no pre-existent matter like the false religions of the world teach. That's what the doctrine teaches. But it does not say or imply that every single thing was created that way because the man was created from the ground and the woman was created from the man. And God did that purposely in order to make a distinction between them and the rest of creation. The man was created from the ground and the woman was created from the man initially. So, further, what does he teach us? In Hebrews 11, verse 3, not only was it the mere, simple word of God, but he says what we have to believe about this. So that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. There we have creation out of nothing. What is seen was not made out of things visible. God did not do it that way. He did it in the miraculous way. Nothing existed but God. And then at a point in history, in our history, at the beginning, in the beginning, he created the heavens and the earth. This is a truth that is throughout Scripture. This doctrine of creation out of nothing. It is not a misreading of Hebrews 11.3 or Hebrews 11. The, the apostle here is not a loner in what he's teaching, but this is a biblical teaching. It's throughout the whole Bible. Let's see a few examples of this fact that God created something out of nothing. Psalm 90. Psalm 90 and verse 1. Psalm 90, verse 1. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you gave birth to the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. That means he existed from eternity and he will continue to exist. And before there were ever any mountains, God existed. Before there was any material for the mountains, God existed is the point. He is the eternal God. Furthermore, turn to Proverbs chapter 8. Proverbs chapter 8. Proverbs chapter 8, verse 22. Proverbs 8, 22. The wisdom of God existed before the world. 
The wisdom of God existed before the world. And notice what wisdom says. Wisdom is personified here. Proverbs 8.22 The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his way, before his works of old. From everlasting I was established, from the beginning, from the earliest times of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains were settled, before the hills, I was brought forth. While he had not yet made the earth and the fields, nor the first dust of the world. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he inscribed the circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when the springs of the deep became fixed, when he set for the sea its boundary so that the water should not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him as a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in the world his earth, and having my delight in the sons of men. When the scripture here personifies wisdom, it's trying to tell us that wisdom is not a created thing so that it is creaturely and like us, finite, but it is amazingly infinite. It is eternal. Wisdom is. And wisdom was in existence from eternity because God possesses wisdom, is the point. God possesses wisdom before the world actually existed. And he gives us some taste of his wisdom in the world by the word of God. Further, John chapter 1. John chapter 1. We're still showing from the scriptures that the scriptures, not just in Hebrews 11, but throughout, teach that God created the world from nothing. And here also we'll see who the instrument was. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being by him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. The word of John 1.1 is Jesus Christ because 14 says, 1.14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is the word meaning Christ. The Bible, when it says the worlds were prepared by the word of God, it means the spoken word. It was the spoken word that created the world. But here, the Bible, when it says in the beginning was the word, we're talking about the personal word. We're talking about the Son of God. We're talking about Jesus Christ, the, the personal word. He was there in the beginning. So if Jesus was there in the beginning of the creation of the world, that means that he must have existed before time, space, and matter. Right? If he was there in the beginning, not he became the word after the beginning, but it says in the beginning was the word. He was already there. So if he was already there, he was there from eternity past. And if he was there from eternity past, that which lives or that which exists in eternity past is God, is deity, is divine. That's his point. So if Jesus was there with God, the Father and the Spirit, if he was there, he was in the beginning with God, then everything else that comes after that is verse 3. All things came into being by him, by Christ. 
And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. All things. He does not say all other things. He says all things. If the scripture wanted to be more clear, I don't know how the scripture would say it. How could we say it any more clearly than it says in John chapter 1? Furthermore, these other passages are quite clear themselves. And then, finally, let's also go back to Colossians chapter 1. We, we remember, we just read that a few minutes ago, Colossians chapter 1 further reiterates this very point. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 says, For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Here is another way of expressing the same thing that John the Apostle did in the book of John, chapter 1. He says all things three times. All things. He does not say all other things, so that one might think, well, maybe there was this simple material that existed for eternity, and then at a point, God or the gods used that simple material to create this present world. No. He says all things, not all other things, all things were created by him. In the heavens, on earth, visible, invisible, including angels, they were created by Christ and for Christ. And Christ existed. He is before all things. He existed before anything existed. Therefore, creation out of nothing. Nothing was there, and by the will, decree, command of God, it all came into existence. Now, why is this important for us? Why is it important? Because true believers understand this truth of the Scriptures. They understand how foundational it is. They understand that their faith in Christ is a very unique faith, so unique that it is the only way of salvation. So this is what true believers understand that it is a unique faith and the only way of salvation. And this faith has to have, as its basis, belief that God created the world out of nothing. It has to believe that. It has to believe that. Now, whenever people hear the gospel, they don't always understand everything. Nobody understands everything when they first believe. Nobody does, and we're not going to understand everything until we meet the Lord. And even then... He, may, he won't give us exhaustive knowledge because if he gives us exhaustive knowledge, we'll be God. Only God has this exhaustive knowledge. However we might define exhaustive knowledge, only God does, not us. Therefore, we must, when we encounter this, have faith in it. Whether that was when we first heard the gospel or at some point after that, we have to have faith in what we've just said. We cannot, in other words, Hear this truth of the Bible down the road. Hear this truth of the Bible and say, well, I don't believe that. I can't believe that. I don't believe in Genesis chapter 1, and I don't believe in Genesis chapter 2. They go together. And for that matter, I can't believe in Genesis chapter 3 either, because Adam and Eve, they were perfect, and then they sinned. I can't believe in all that. I believe that it's just a, a myth or a fairy tale, a legend. It's not really historical fact. None of that is historical fact. 
And then once you get rid of the first three chapters of the Bible, then why not just get rid of the first 11 chapters? And then while you're at it, get rid of the rest of the Bible. Get rid of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, starting in Genesis 12, explaining his life. Just get rid of the rest of the Bible. And this is what people do. They pick and choose. They, they, they wiggle here. They maneuver this way and that way. They fudge and nudge this way and that way in order to believe whatever suits their finite mind. That's what they want because they are not living by faith. Let's not be that way. Let's live by faith. Let's believe in what the Bible says. Let's believe in what it says. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we know that you are our creator. We thank you, Lord, that you've given us this faith. You've granted faith to your people. We ask you now that though our faith is unseen, uh, in unseen things, that though we were not there, just as no one was there, that we will believe what your holy word teaches. And Father, may this be a platform for the things to come. We know, Lord, that you will create a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. We have yet to see that. We have yet to experience that. But because of faith in Christ, we believe that one day when he returns, he will grant us entrance into his eternal kingdom. He will bring us safely out of this world and into his heavenly kingdom. We ask you, Lord, help us to have faith in this so that we're not living for the world, the flesh and the devil, and we're not discouraged and bewildered by the things we face. Strengthen us, Lord, and grant us faith to endure until the very end. May our faith overcome the world. For we ask in Christ's name. Amen.